If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 tonight. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to kind of bounce around. I'll be in there. I'll be in John chapter 3 and finally in Hebrews chapter 11 if we make it that far. Uh, but what I want to talk to you tonight regarding is the origin of life. The origin of life. Now, over these past couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot of research regarding this particular issue, the origin of life, and, and, and what this means for the believer. And what I have found is there are many predominant pastors within the Southern Baptist Convention, outside of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, that are supposedly, quote-unquote, evangelical pastors that try and marry science with the Word of God. And what this causes is confusion in the life of the believer. Okay, it kind of jumbles everything up. Have y'all ever had everything jumbled up before? Uh, let, me, let me break the monotony a little bit for just a moment. When I was a kid, my dad used to tell us this story as children uh, that he heard from Hee Haw. How many of y'all ever seen Hee Haw before? Right, some of you know exactly where I'm going with this. Uh, Archie Campbell used to tell a story sitting in a barbershop chair on Hee Haw. And it was the story of Rendersella. And he told it something like this. He said, once upon a time and a long, long time ago, there lived in a corn country, a beautiful burl, and her name was Rendersella. Now, there also lived in this corn country at this particular time a prancing hens. And he was having a bancy fall, so he invited people for riles of mound, especially the pritch reeple. Because if you don't have a bancy fall, let's face it, you want pritch reeple to be there, right? Well... Render Seller lived at home with her muggly other, her two sad blisters, and she didn't have a dancy fest to wear to this bancy fall, so she just cat down in stride. And while she was kitting there, shrine there before her, appeared her Gary Fob mother, and he waved his, his wagic mind, and there before her appeared a coach and Hicks White Sources to take her to this bancy fall. Her Gary Five mother waved a wagic mind again, and there was a dancy fest aware, and Rinda Seller got all excited. She could finally go to this bancy fall and meet the prancing hints. That's what she was looking forward to, right? Now her Gary Five mother told her before they left out, you better be back by the time the mid-clock strikes night or you'll turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> now Rinda Seller knew that she did not want to turn into a pumpkin, okay? So she remembered what her Gary Five mother had said about the mid-clock. Don't forget that part. So she goes on to the Bancy Fall, and the Pransom Hints knew when, he, when she had arrived because he was looking through a wooden henda. So when she came in, he went straight to Render Cellar because she was so she was such a, a beautiful burl, he just had to go meet her. So he gets up next to her and he says, Hey, Render Cellar, I'm the Pransom Hints. I don't know what he really said, but that sounds good, right? He said, I'm the Pransom Hints, would you dance with me? And they danced all night long. You know what ended up happening? <laughs> they let him fuff. It done did it. It done happened. They let him fuff. And while they was dancing and lolling in fuff, Render Seller lost track of time, and she looked up, and that mid-clock was getting ready to strike night, and she remembered what her Gary Five mother had told her about turning into a pumpkin once the mid-clock strikes night. So she got scared, and she took off running in a dead sprint. <laughs> took off towards the door. She was bouncing down the stairs, and just as she breached the rodham, you know what happened? This is the craziest part of all of it. She slopped her dripper. Right there in front of everybody, she slopped her dripper. 
She took off, she went home, she got to her house with her mugly other and her two sad blisters, and all she could think about was, man, I slopped my dripper in front of the prancing hens. What am I going to do? Well, he found that slop dripper, and he went all through the corn country looking for the beautiful burl who had lost it. He went from house to house trying the slop dripper on all these different women. It didn't fit anybody. He got to Renner Seller's house. He tried it on the mugly other, and it fitted it. Mm-mm. He tried it on the two sad blisters, and it fitted it. Well, finally, Render Seller was screaming from the top of the house. She said, hey, hey, that's mine. So he got to Render Seller, and he tried the slop dripper on her, and you know what happened? It fitted it. it, and it was exactly the sight rise. As Archie Campbell would tell it, the story of the Maury is, if you want to go to a fancy fall and meet a prancing hens that will dance all night and loll in fub with you, don't forget to slop your dripper. <laughs> I told the whole thing without messing up and saying bad words, Pastor. You ought to, yeah. <laughs> it's tough to do sometimes, but... The truth of the matter is, I know that story sounds crazy, it's funny, it's laughable, all these other things. That's what happens to our theology if we're not careful, though. We can get so caught up in the things of this world and so caught up of how other people view things that we don't pay attention to what the Word of God says, and the next thing you know, our entire storyline is confused. You say, well, why do you think the origin of life is an important subject matter to embrace? Because it's the first thing in this word that God has left us. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be, listen, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and read for a long, long period of time. Y'all are going to be happy of this. We're going to be in verses 1 and 2. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word, let's see what God has to say about it. Very simple. In the beginning, God, notice that, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you this service tonight. Father God, as fun as it is to laugh and as joyful as it is to have smiles on our face and to express ourselves, Lord, I pray that we would be able to push any other thoughts aside but you at this very moment. Father God, for the rest of the service, I pray that you would be at the center of it. And Lord, that we would be able to focus our attention upon you and your truth. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we give you the honor and glory for the outcome of this service in advance, knowing that it must be great. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. All right, so do I have your attention now? Right. That's an attention getter. So the origin of life. Well, the first question that we must ask when we're trying to decide the origin of life is a very simple one. It's this. Where did life begin? Where did life begin? Now, I've got children in the school system, and I praise God for the school systems around here and the fact that the teachers are able to, to tell what they truly believe. In spite of what the school books say, in spite of what science says, the theories that are out there, we're able to focus upon the Word of God. Now, the first thing I want to do tonight is I want to read to you. I did a little bit of research, and I say a little bit, I mean a very little bit, right? 
LifeScience.com listed out seven things. I'm going to give you five of them as to their explanation of the origin of life. The first one is this, that it started with an electric spark. Electric sparks can generate amino acids and sugars from an atmosphere loaded with water, methane, ammonia, and hydrogen. As was shown by the famous Miller-Urey experiment reported in 1955, or 53, suggesting that lightning might have helped create the key building blocks of life. That's what they believe. This is one of the theories that, that's out there that science believes that, that life began with a lightning bolt, just a flash of lightning, and then through millions of years of evolution that, that we came about. We'll get into that in a moment, never mind. Molecules of life, metal and clay is the second one. Molecules of life, metal and clay. The first molecules of life might have met on clay according to an idea elaborated by an organic chemist, Alexander Graham something or another at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. These surfaces might not only have been concentrated these organic compounds together, but also help organize them into patterns like our genes do now. And he's talking about DNA. So, so molecules just happened to meet on clay and they formed together and the next thing you know they started forming DNA strands is what science teaches. Uh, listen to this one. Life began at the deep sea vents. This, this is quite entertaining. The deep sea vent theory suggests that life might have begun in, at a submarine high, hydrothermal vent spewing uh, key hydrogen-rich molecules. The rocky nooks could then have concentrated these molecules together and provided the catalyst for critical reactions. Uh, or how about this one? Life had a chilly start. Ice might have covered the oceans. L listen to that. Ice might have covered the oceans three billion years ago as the sun was about a third less luminous than it is now. Scientists say a layer of ice possibly hundreds of feet, feet thick might have protected fragile organic compounds in the water below from ultraviolet light and destruction from, from uh, cosmic impacts. The cold might also have helped these molecules to survive longer, allowing key reactions to happen and, and then the last one this is the one that, that I just it blows my mind of how awesome this is life was brought here from somewhere else in space doesn't that sound great perhaps life did not begin on earth at all but it was brought here from somewhere in space a notion uh, known as pans, panspermia for instance, rocks regularly get blasted off Mars by cosmic impacts, and a number of Martian meteorites might have been found on Earth that some researchers have controversially suggested brought microbes over here, potentially making us all Martians originally. So, so these are five scientific theories that explain where the Earth comes from. The problem or where life comes from. The problem with these five theories is they don't explain what made the lightning they don't explain what made the the clay they don't explain what made the water they don't explain what made uh, the, the ice they don't explain what made the martian meteors that hit the earth they don't go into enough detail in other words they're simply theories and this is me and my son were having this conversation the other day riding down the road in the car and i was 11 and we were discussing the origins of life and where life began. And I had to tell him, I said, son, what you need to understand is most of what you'll be taught through science class is simply theories. They don't, they are not hard evidenced truths. 
A lot of people would argue with me on that, and I'll probably get a lot of flack from this. So, Pastor, I might get some emails, but I'm okay with that. So if we look at the scientific theory of how the earth began, then I think it is widely accepted that it was the Big Bang Theory, right? Now, when I was in ninth grade, or eighth grade, I was in earth science class, and I, I was taking a test, and there was two questions on the test. I failed the test, believe it or not. I don't know if y'all could believe I'd fail a test, but it happened. And, and I failed this particular test because one of the questions was, how did the earth begin? And one of the answers was the Big Bang Theory. And there was other answers, but God was not an answer anywhere on that. So I circled the Big Bang Theory, but I put out next to it, God said it, and bang, it happened. And my, my teacher didn't like that a whole lot. He actually had a, had a meeting with my father over that particular instance. And uh, my dad kind of yelled at him, I think, and told him where we stood as far as creation of the earth began. But scientific theory speaks completely in the face of the Bible in many instances. Now, that's not to say that all scientists are wrong, and that's not to say that there aren't scientists out there that believe the truth of God's Word. If you want to see what they believe, I invite you to look up answers in Genesis. Very simply. Uh, they have some great uh, scientific evidence to support the flood. They have great scientific evidence to support Noah's Ark. They have great scientific evidence to support the creation of the earth only being thousands of years old. So where do we go with this? When we have all this scientific theory that's brought before us and we have these things that are placed into our minds, where do we go from this? Well, the truth, truthful answer is this. We must have biblical truth. We must have biblical truth. If you'll look with me at the text in Genesis chapter 1, I want us to pay attention to what verses 1 and 2 say. First it says this, in the beginning. So I think the question must be asked, the beginning of what? If the Bible starts off as in the beginning, what is the beginning that the Bible is talking about? Well, let me explain it to you. It's the beginning of time. See, the God that we serve does not exist within the realm of time. And that's hard for us to understand at times. Because everything that we know in life is based off of a timeline. I know when I was born. I know when I was saved. I know when I was baptized. I know when I was married. I know when I was called into ministry. I know when my children were born. And one day there will be on my headstone, when I die, there will be a date that represents my death. And the truth of the matter is this. Our life on earth consists of nothing but a dash. That's what it all boils down to, a dash. So what are we doing within that dash? How do we live out our dash? And I think that God's creation plays a great role into how we live our dash and where we stand in the creation story. When we look at in the beginning God, we pay attention to the fact that God existed before the beginning existed. Because it doesn't say in the beginning God came about. It doesn't say in the beginning that God was created. It doesn't say that in the beginning God just dropped out of nowhere. It says in the beginning was God. God. When we think about the creation of this earth, we think about how it exists today, I invite you not to listen to people who will blatantly call the creation story the creation myth, 
I invite you not to listen to people who will blatantly say that this earth happened up out of a large explosion of gas and expansion of space. It may have happened like that, but it happened. if it did, then it happened like that at the hand of God, according to what the Word of God says. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first thing that we learn about God when we open up the Word of God is that God is the Creator. Which obviously, for any skeptic, which I am somewhat of a skeptic in certain areas of my life, and I'm inquisitive and I like to know truth, so I research things very, very deeply trying to find the the root of the matter. So as I was studying, trying to find out where God came from, I came across this sermon by a great preacher by the name of Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. Calvary Baptist Church, San Diego, California. He pastored there from 1953 to 1993. You might know him as S.M. Lockridge. He was talking about this one instance where he was preaching on the existence of God and where God came from, and he had made a statement that's found in the book of Job that God had placed the earth, that God had hung the earth on nothing. In that, he said God came from nowhere. He's in Detroit, Michigan, and a man came up to him after the service, and he said, Preacher, well, let, me, let me talk to you about this for a moment. Let's be reasonable about this. He said, Brother Lockridge, let's be reasonable about this. How can you say that God came from nowhere? And Brother Lockridge, in the way that he does, he kind of pulled his coat tight and buttoned his top button, which I ain't going to do because I've gained too much weight here lately. But he buttoned his top button. And he said, all right, if you want to be reasonable about it, then the reason that God came from nowhere is because when God existed, there was nowhere for God to come from. Listen to me now. He said, coming out of nowhere, he stood on something where there was no place for him to stand, and he reached out into somewhere where there was no place to reach, and he grabbed a hold of something where there was no place to grab a hold of, and he hung it on nothing, and he told it to stay there. And it did. It listened to him. That's found in Job 26.7, that God hung the world on nothing. He said he spun it around in a circle and he hung lights around it. And he said, I'm going to create the earth based off of this something that I made from nothing. I believe it's verse number 3 in Genesis. It says that when he created the earth that it was formless and void. There was nothing there. So he began the creation process. Any of you that have worked with your hands know what that looks like. You take raw material and you begin to form it and shape it into something that is so beautiful and at the end of it you get to stand back and say what? That's good. That's exactly what God did. When he got done creating the earth, he stood back, he took him a day to himself and he said, hallelujah, this looks beautiful. I think part of the reason why is because he didn't have nobody there to gripe with him about it. (laughs) Right? We build something today and everybody says, yeah, but that's crooked. No, listen. God created the most perfect thing on the planet, and the, that is the planet. But here's the truth about God. If God has the power, hold with me tight on this for a moment. If God has the power to take nothing and make something out of it, 
The Lord knows he has the power to take a sorry, good-for-nothing nobody and turn him into somebody that is able to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. When we think about who God the Creator is, we can't think of God the Creator without God the Savior. Because God's love is shown through His creation. The second point that we'll notice here, and this is another question we have to ask. If we ask where did life begin, then we must ask where, when was life given? We found their origins. We found where it began. It began with God. It began in the, in the darkness. It began formless and void. So when was life actually given? And that's found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. This will be the third day of creation. It's the first time we see any life of any sort being given. He said, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass. Hmm. An herb that yields seed. And the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. Whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass. The herb that yields seed according to its kind. The tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So evening and morning were the third day. Now, this is the creation portion of this. When we ask when life was given, life was given on the third day, and I think that is very relevant to our lives as believers. How awesome is it that God chose the third day to bring life onto this planet Earth, and yet it was also the third day that He showed that it's better to come up out of a grave than to come down from a cross. You ask when life was given. Life was given at the mouth of God. So I'm a mechanic by trade. It's what I've done all of my life until about seven years ago. And even then I still did it. And now I still do it a little bit. But I'm a mechanic by trade. It's my job to take my hands and to fix things and make them better. Now my wife doesn't like that a whole lot because I've tried to fix her more times than you can imagine. And I'm going to tell you, she just can't get right. I love you, honey. Let me tell you, she's perfect in every way, right? See how I recovered there? That was good, wasn't it? But as a mechanic, it's my job to place my hands on things and to make them better. Kind of like a doctor. Doctor's in here going, you ain't nothing like a doctor. Try and fix a weed eater. I promise you, I'm like a doctor. I guarantee you. But as a mechanic, it's my job to make things better. Well, God's the creator. And you know what's so crazy to me is he created this earth essentially with his hands tied behind his back. And he just said, you know what? This place looks pretty cool. But it's missing something. It needs some greenery. So here's what I'm going to do. I want things to come up out of the ground. I want them to bear seed. Seed of their kind. Notice he does not talk about evolution here. As a matter of fact, he debunks evolution with what he's saying. Evolution tells us that things spring from one kind to another. The Word of God tells us that things are found within their own kind. Naturally. And God said, I, I want trees and herbs and grass to all come up. 
to spring up from the ground. And then later on we see that he brings the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the creatures of the field, the beasts of the field, and finally mankind. All brought up through the mouth of the Almighty. You want to know how the earth began? This is it. This is the creation story, not a myth. I like to call it this, the creation truth. And that is this, that the God that saved me spoke this world into existence. Along with this world, he also spoke me into existence, not once, but twice. How about that? Ain't that crazy? I was spoken into existence twice. Listen to this. The second point is, uh, of the second sub-point of this is our spiritual life. When was our spiritual life given? If you, you'll turn with me to John chapter 3, we see an indication of where this took place. Now, let me set the scene for you in this passage of Scripture. I, I like to refer to this as Nick at night, right? It's Nicodemus at nighttime in Gethsemane. And he's in this cave in Gethsemane, and, and he's talking to Jesus, and he's kind of hiding. He, he's, he's probably a little scared at this point as to what he's about to hear. And he's asking Christ uh, uh, about these great things. Listen to this. In verse number 1 of chapter 3 of John, he says, There was a man of Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoo, that took a sharp turn, didn't it? You think about that. Nicodemus is coming to Christ and he's saying, certainly you must be a teacher of God. Because you're doing these wonderful things, you're doing these magnificent things. We're seeing the creation power of God through the miracles that you're performing. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Christ's main priority on this earth was the lost soul of man. He didn't contend in genealogies. He didn't continue and say, well, you know, this is why I'm doing this, and these miracles are actually this. And it's No, he said, look, brother, you need to be saved. He got deep into it. Because he knew that the spiritual life needed to be given to this Pharisee. Now to understand what that means is this. Pharisees were not bad people. As a matter of fact, one could argue that they were some of the best people on the planet. Man, they had it right. They were following the law. They had memorized the law. They knew everything about it. They were the preachers of that day, essentially. Man, they knew what was happening. So they were getting it right in their own eyes. And Jesus said, but wait a second, you've missed the point completely. You have to be born again. He continues on in this in verse number 5, uh, or verse 4, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's uh, womb for a second time? And Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. What Jesus is saying here is we exist on two different planes, and we don't even realize it. 
We exist on the plane of the earth that we know and that we can see and that's visible and we can touch. But we also exist on this spiritual plane that is not existent in our eyes today as we stand. As we stand today, we're living for that dash. But in reality, our dash should represent an eternity. And what Jesus is saying here is that unless you were born for a second time, unless you were born again, you cannot experience the greatness that is found within God for an eternity. In verse number 12, he kind of puts it out into these into this basic principles. He goes through and he tells Nicodemus about being born again and being born of the Spirit and being born of the, of the, of the uh, water and all these other things. But in verse 12, he says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Listen to me. I don't think anything could correlate with the creation of God or, or the creation of man by God any greater than the story of John chapter 3. Jesus is talking about the earthly things. Nicodemus can't even grasp them. And he says, but wait a second. How in the world, if you do not believe what I'm telling you about earthly things, how are you ever going to believe when I tell you that you must be born again? Third point, why is this important? And I'm wrapping up. Why is this important? Well, the first reason it's important is found in Hebrews chapter 11, and it's our view of God. It's important because it, it impacts our view of God. Is God creator? That's a question I want you to ask yourself right now. Is God the creator? I've heard many people, including one of the preachers that I heard a few weeks ago, saying that you don't have to believe in the creation story to believe in Christ. I agree with that. You don't have to believe in the creation story to, to believe in Christ. But I do want to ask you this question. If you don't believe in the creation story, then is what you believe about God, is it truth? And if what you believe about God is not truth, then how in the world are you to believe that Christ Jesus is his true son? One preacher put it this way, that the, the Bible is nothing but a house of cards, and if we take one of the cards away, the whole thing crumbles. I agree with him wholeheartedly. And I believe with all of my heart that creation is one of those foundational cards, and if we pull it out, then where is our faith? Hebrews chapter 11 says this, verse numbers 1 through 3. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That's the mouth of God, again, the creation. So that the things which are seen were made or were not made of things which are visible. In other words, listen to me. What he's saying in verse number 3 here is by faith we believe that God spoke things into existence by things that we cannot see. We don't understand the work of God. We don't understand the hand of God. I'll be honest with you. I was looking at myself in a mirror earlier, and I don't understand why God would save me. I don't. I don't get it. If there's anybody not worthy to be called the name of Christian, then it's me. Simply. This is the truth of it. I know many of you must feel the same way. 
But if I don't have my view of God right, then how can I have my view of salvation right? If I'm mixed up on the things of God, then how can I not be mixed up on the things of Christ when Christ is God? John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Christ. You say, preacher, you're getting getting kind of heated about this. Listen, this is something that really aggravates me and and it drives me to the core because it's something that I think we foundationally must get right in our faith. It's elementary in our faith. It's one of the first things that we teach our children. God created the earth in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. And I like that seventh day. I really do because that's my day of rest. For some of us, it's not Sunday, though. For some of us, it might be a Saturday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or whatever day it might be that you have off. But you need that time of rest because God's given you that. And he showed us by example in the creation of the earth. But when our view of God gets straightened out and we can actually see God for who he truly is, then we'll recognize that our faith, that our faith can hold water. I was going to get up here with a milk jug and poke a holes in it, and I wasn't going to. The truth is, though, a jug with a hole in it can't hold water. Nate demonstrated that so greatly the first sermon that he preached up here. And I think that that was awesome in that that illustration, Nate. But I'm just in my head, I'm imagining my faith being a vessel, and if that vessel has a crack or a hole in it, then it can't hold anything inside of it. There's no substance to it. But let me tell you, when our faith is found within the perfect and errant Word of God, when my faith is found within this, and I quit putting my thoughts into it, and I quit putting my emotions into it, and I focus solely on what the Word says, what the text says, isn't that what Shane always says? Look at the text, look at the text. Listen to me, look at the text. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Listen to me, the evidence of the creation of the earth is all around you. George Strait wrote a song, or sang a song, I don't think he wrote it, but he sang a song not too long ago called, I I Saw God Today. Y'all ever heard that? He's talking about walking down the street and he sees a flower coming up through the sidewalk and he recognized that he saw God in that. Uh, the, The birth of a newborn baby, he saw God in it. I, on my drive home tonight, I, you know what? I'm going to see God all around me. The question is, will I pass it by or will I take a moment to see it? If you'll bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Granted, I could have gone on for a lot longer regarding this issue. But I think the evidence is mighty clear. That in God's perfection, He created this earth with His mouth. That means this, He created you as well. Yes, you are His creation. But there's one thing about being His creation that you're not automatically, and that is His child. That's His child. The book of Ephesians describes that when we receive Christ as Savior, then we become His child. We become adopted into the family of God. Tonight as we're in here, I've got to ask you a question. Are you a child of God? 
When you look at your faith, what is it built upon? Is it built upon scientific theory or the Word of God? Is it built upon your personal thoughts? Maybe you're a good person. Or is it built upon biblical truth, which is that Christ gave his life for you? Tonight, if you would be willing to say, Pastor Mark, if my time were over tonight, either I'm uncertain or I know for a fact that I would not spend an eternity with Christ. Because he doesn't have my faith. My faith is not in him. If that's you tonight, I want to tell you that's something that can change right now, right where you sit. Because the thing about God is he loves us enough to where no matter what we've done, he's not done with us. He's given us a way out. He's given us an advocate. He's given us Christ. Tonight, if you would like to say, you know what, that, that's, I need Jesus in my life. I'm going to invite you to receive him at this moment. From your heart to God's heart, it's not the words of a prayer that saves you. It is the condition of the heart in man. And I think the word of God is abundantly clear on that. But tonight, if you would be willing to say, hey, I need to know Christ as Savior, but I don't know how to pray, I don't know how to talk to Him, I don't know what to do, let me invite you. It's very simple. You might say something like this. Right where you're sitting, from your heart to God, you might say, Heavenly Father, I'm lost. And I know that I am. Lord, I'm a sinner. For I've sinned against you. Father, I also recognize that you have given Christ to be my Savior. And right now, I want to accept that. I want, my desire is to receive Christ into my life and to be a changed person from this day forward. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for sending your Son for me. Lord, may I serve him the rest of the days of my life. Tonight, if you have said that prayer, if you've given your life to Christ, here's what I want to invite you to do with no one else looking around. If you would, quickly, for just a moment, slip your hand up so that we know to be praying for you. Everyone else's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you, and you would be willing to say, tonight I've given my life to Christ, I would invite you at this very moment to slip your hand up. pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together tonight. Lord, I pray over this invitation. Father, that you would lord over it. Lord, that everything that we do, the response that we give, will be in reverence to your word. We love you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.